Hi, I'm Bill Finn. This is the second part of a two-part interview. Now that the first half of the interview is over, let me be your Sherpa as we leave the comfort of base camp and push for the summit. It's time to get your cramp on. Yeah, it's season three of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Jim Martin, along with my co-host, as always, Chris Beyer. Tonight, we are here with Dave Lurson, who is the managing editor for the Shepherd Express paper here in Milwaukee. Welcome back, Dave. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Dave's also an author, and I hope to talk about one of his books that piqued my interest earlier, uh, a little bit later in the podcast. But right now, we're going to talk about how the Shepherd Express itself has evolved just in the last uh, six or eight months or so uh, since this, uh, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Could you tell us a little bit about what you guys had to do to, to shift things around? Well, the uh, COVID uh, pandemic hit us very swiftly. We were not really, you know, thinking in terms of, of, of having to adjust our, our, our way of operating because of this, but all of a sudden it became apparent uh, that we had no, no choice and it forced us to make some very good and strategic decisions. One of which was to stop printing the weekly newspaper and to go into developing a truly daily or at least six day a week website. We've had a website for many years now, but the website before that time was probably 75, 80% content uh, from the weekly paper that was just posted. And there was some original content, but not an enormous amount of it. The COVID pandemic forced us to truly become a, an active website. Uh, all content was, was, was web-only content. We had to identify writers, generate new ideas. The biggest challenge for the first month or so into the pandemic was that there wasn't very much going on in Milwaukee because everything was closed. So, but pretty soon musicians began, uh, you know, releasing lo music locally. Um, theater companies were experimenting with doing Zoom performances. Restaurants uh, and bars opened to some extent, many of them uh, at least. So, we were just kind of on, on a roll, you know, it was kind of fun in a way, you know, treating our website like a daily newspaper with very tight deadlines, trying to get uh, content up uh, as quickly as possible when it was still fresh. So that's one aspect of what we did. The other half of it was the idea of going into, in addition to the daily website, a weekly glossy magazine, something in a format visually anyway, um, uh, production-wise, not unlike a Milwaukee magazine. And I think that, that we, we've done this since August now. The November issue is on its way as we're speaking here tonight. Um, and we are going to continue with this. It's been very well received by our old readership. Uh, we've had good success in, in gaining advertising and sponsorship for it. And the magazine contains many of the key elements that our readers from the weekly paper were familiar with. We have Art Kumbalik, we have Joel McNally, we have Philip Chard's Out of My Mind column, we have a couple of cultural articles per issue, we have a couple of news articles per issue, and we have, uh, instead of this week in Milwaukee, we have this month in Milwaukee. So basically, it's an upscaled 
visually more lavish, more beautiful, uh, aesthetically speaking, version of what the weekly paper had once been. Yeah, it looks it looks really nice. Chris uh, Chris brought over a copy of it today. It looks uh, looks great. Um, so now uh, this is this is kind of a weird question, but um, who who do you have printing that? Just out of curiosity. Well, we used to be printed when we were a weekly paper by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Sure, who had, right. Uh, that opened a state of the art printing facility, but uh, they do not have the capacity to do the kind of monthly glossy magazine that we're doing. So we're, we're going to Quad Graphics, the owner of Milwaukee Magazine. Yeah, I was curious about that because obviously, I don't know how many people really know about this, but you know, newspapers are printed on totally different presses than, than this type of thing. And so you had to shift the whole operation to a completely different printer and, and completely different press. And so I, I was just curious. I was, you know, that's- <laughs> Quad obviously has the background and capacity for doing the kind of magazine that, that we want to do. Yep. Because of Milwaukee Magazine, the long history there. So it works. it's worked out very well. Yeah. Prior yeah. to COVID, had you guys ever thought about shifting to this format of a, of a glossy magazine? Was that ever in the cards at all? Well, we would do something once a year called uh, City Guide, which was a glossy or semi-glossy annual um, magazine inserted into one of our weekly newspapers in springtime, usually. And it had unique content, a restaurant guide, other articles about Milwaukee. And so we were thinking that maybe we could do a quarterly glossy city guide magazine. We hadn't really gotten to the point of seriously thinking about scrapping the weekly paper. That would seem like a very drastic move to make. But sometimes, you know, a catastrophe can force you to, to be you know, more creative, to think beyond your normal routine. And that's what happened to us. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. I mean, a lot of places have had to either pivot or die, kind of thing, right? Either you do you change with the times, or you're not going to make it because it's just things are are too crazy right now. But these are pretty drastic changes. I mean, to go from the weekly paper to this uh, glossy magazine every month, and then to shift to you know put your primary focus on on a uh, the website kind of brings in some unique challenges, I would think, because as a weekly paper, you're distributing this. It's free. You just put it out there. Well, if you're going to be doing a weekly website, the, the getting it out there part of it is completely different than just having it at a, a restaurant somewhere or, or a bar or something. So do you, what do you guys have a uh, plan moving forward for that kind of thing? Well, the magazine is going to move forward. We, we are distributing it in fewer places than, than we distributed the weekly newspaper. The print run is slightly smaller. I guess it's a little bit more targeted in terms of its audience, perhaps, than, than the weekly paper was. But again, it, it includes many of the key features of, of the weekly paper. So we have found a pretty good format for the magazine content-wise. We're thinking about things like adding a health and fitness section. I mean, there, there's stuff that we've been talking about that we may decide to, to go forward with in 2021 at some point. As far as the website goes, the content there is, is very wide open. We've been running everything from a, you know, photo essays from the inner city of Milwaukee to extensive coverage of uh, some of the various protests that have gone on here in recent months to you know, resuming our coverage of performing arts as performing arts gets back on its feet. Uh, so the, the the active daily website gives us the opportunity to to be even more on the spot with 
what's going on in Milwaukee. We don't have the one-week lag time. Uh, we don't have a limitation of page counts because a website is, is infinite theoretically. You could have you know, millions of words on it simultaneously and still <laughs> room to grow. Yep. It also gives you a, a new aspect, which is video, which you didn't have available, obviously, with the paper. It was audio, too, for, your, for the music stuff and you know, oh, kind of no. different dimensions to it. We're, we're doing some of that. We need to do, do more of that and go deeper into those areas. Uh, and we do actually have, have a twice-monthly comedy podcast called Laughing Liberally. So, okay. um, Dave, huh? uh, don't mention any other podcasts at, at, from this point on. Okay. <laughs> I'm teasing, obviously. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm going to editorialize here a little bit. I think it's been kind of proven that something like a newspaper at a, at a Subway sandwich shop isn't really a vector for covid uh, how they took all the magazines out, all the supplements and all the other things like yours out of all these restaurants. I think it, we could safely get back to starting having those types of publications in restaurants and whatnot again. Well, I, I think we've gotten away from the idea that COVID is spread you know, primarily by touching things. So it's touching a newspaper or a magazine somebody else has touched is probably not going to give you uh, COVID. But, uh, you know, being sneezed at or talked to at close range probably will if the person ha you're talking to has it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that should be much of a factor anymore. Our major distribution points really are grocery stores, you know, pick and save and beans and barley and uh, places of that kind, uh, discount liquor along the same lines. We move a lot of copies and we always have at those venues. And you okay. still have those venues available. They're still accepting them. Yes. Right. Yeah. We haven't we've been kicked out of any place. Uh, that used to be a problem for us, um, especially suburban uh, grocery stores. Somebody would complain to the manager that, you know, how, how can you allow this, this uh, you know, liberal publication, you know, in, into your store? It offends our sensibilities. And then we'd have to go through a big song and dance and get people who live around there to come in and say, but no, we want the Shepherd Express back. Um, so that hasn't happened lately. It's it's kind of funny because then just don't get it. You don't have to. Nobody's handing. Nobody's forcing it into your hand when you're leaving this. Just leave it alone. It's not like an issue of Hustler magazine from the seventies, <laughs> right. sitting on the newsstand there, you know, glaring at you. No, I mean we have made sure that covers going back decades now would have nothing to you know morally offend anybody. We may want to provoke people to think about political and social issues, but uh, uh, that, that is, is an important role of, of the press in a country like America. That's the job of, of media uh, is to do that. You said liberal publication. Is there a, and I don't believe there is, but is there a, a weekly or monthly conservative bent magazine in Milwaukee? Uh, not explicitly. No. Um, You're speaking of the journal? Kind of quasi-conservative, maybe, in, in, this, in the sense of, uh, of, of what? Maintaining the status quo of their circulation, I guess. Maybe they're conservative about that. Um, a lot of media in Milwaukee tries to be apolitical, tries to downplay anything that would be controversial for fear of mobilizing people on the other side of whatever issue it might be. 
in our case, though, we, we noticed a great increase in interest for our new section with the uh, rise of Scott Walker as governor of Wisconsin, because we took a, you know, a very active stand against him and our circulation increased. I mean, I think that sometimes, you know, right-wing people like to read us just for their, to be annoyed by, by what we're saying. But um, we, we have really found a, a, a growing audience of people, especially younger people now, too, who are taking an interest in politics in a way that they weren't or wouldn't have 10, 15 years ago, because it seems to be much more important to the way we live into our future now than it seemed back in the days of Bill Clinton. Yeah. Where are your listener, where are your readers going elsewhere for your type of content? Well, for the magazine, I suppose, obviously, Milwaukee Magazine. For the website, on Milwaukee.com, you know, they, they do a great job of covering every little, you know, thing that goes on and happens in Milwaukee, every bar that opens, every restaurant that closes. I mean, we do this, too. But they, they are re really very comprehensive on, on that kind of stuff. Urban Milwaukee is a place to go to for other kinds of political commentary of one stripe or another. But um, really, I think that, that we've defined a, a very broad niche for ourselves here in the metro Milwaukee area. Broad niche. That's like jumbo shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> and when we know we, we, we've eaten it. We, we know what a jumbo shrimp looks like. <laughs> so a broad niche. Same thing. All the guys that founded the paper are of your generation. Have you guys been able to keep up with younger people creating content to capture the, the newer audience? Uh, yes, we have, because we, we have a, a digital staff of people, a small staff of people there who are, you know, I would say approximately 30 years old, and they are doing a portion of the music writing. Uh, they do articles about uh, uh, venues that they would go to, we, we seek their input on, on a variety of ideas. So, yes, we, we are aware of the need to, you know, have a multi-generational input because the, the newspaper, I think, had a, the, the, the proverbial 8 to 80, you know, year old readership. I mean, we had very young people reading it all through the history of it and very old people. We continued in that way. Maybe there, there could have been a problem at one point a few years ago with losing touch with millennials to some extent and the generations to come beyond that, whatever they might be called. But I think we're, we're on top of that now. We, we've made some good hires in, in, in that generational cohort, and we, can, we plan on, on uh, remaining open to new ideas. So the future's looking bright. That's great. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. You've written several books, I, I noticed, on, on your website. Um, but the one that piqued my interest was Secret Societies and Clubs in American History. Yes. So these are actually real things. Well, re real things, yes. There, there have been a lot of secret societies in American history, the most important of them being the, the Freemasons. And if you don't think that they were important to America, pull it a dollar bill and look at the backside and what's that pyramid with the eye. Right. And that's a real thing, right? That's, that's actually... That, that, the, that's, that's a real thing. The, 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 the motto on, on around the pyramid, New World Order in Latin, the Masonic slogan. My book gets into the incredible number of founders of our republic, uh, George Washington, uh, you know, members of Congress early on, Supreme Court justices, generals in the army, I mean, most of these people were members of Masonic lodges. 
So what does this mean? I mean, it, it, you know, it was a networking opportunity for, for people, for one thing. It was a way that the upper class and the aspiring middle class could meet on common ground because, I mean, you know, if you were a slave, don't bother to apply for membership at that point. Or bl- black people had segregated lodges after a while. But anyway, you know, to some extent, this provided common ground and networking opportunities for people to discuss important issues. In a way, you could say that, that America was a Masonic conspiracy, although some of the British officers fighting the revolution were also members of Masonic lodges. So you know, it, 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 it's not, not a simple cut and dried situation. But beyond that, I, I think I looked at 10 or 11 different organizations, including the, the, the mafia, the Ku Klux Klan, the triads and tongs coming out of Chinese-American uh, immigration, some smaller groups like, like Heaven's Gate, the, the suicidal group that killed themselves when the comet came near, uh, the Manson family. Uh, the, the qualification for being in, in the book was that you had to have some kind of quasi-religious or ritualistic aspect to yourself. Otherwise, the Communist Party could have been in there, too, because they were a secret society, in effect, mm-hmm. Uh, for many periods of time. What about Knights Templar? Well, no, I didn't get into Knights Templar. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they, they exist here in some form, but I think that, that maybe they influenced the Masons mm-hmm. and you know, much of what they were about kind of was, was filtered into America through the Masonic organizations. Okay. Are those cool. organizations always necessarily shady or have they benefited no. America? No, I mean, some of them uh, have benefited America. Some of them have been extremely negative. Some of them, you know, you could say were a mixed bag in a way. The OTO, uh, an occult organization, the the worldwide grandmaster was Aleister Crowley, whose name you might be familiar with. Uh, His American disciples included people who promoted the preservation of American folk music and developed the first jet propulsion engine. So that's good. Right. What about more modern ones like the Bilderbergs or the Illuminati? Well, there you get into something. I, I, I was uh, accused at, uh, at, at one, I did a couple of, of book readings when it came out, and I was accused of one of being involved in the, in the deep state. Another person accused me of being part of the international Zionist conspiracy. So um, <laughs> I, my, my response was, well, if, if I know about these things, I, can't, I, I don't dare tell you about them because they're, they're severe penalties. Right, right. Those kinds of secrets. Yeah. Can you get us in? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll see. I have to, to look over your 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 uh, past history and resume very carefully. This part will be edited, so speak freely, speak yeah, candidly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have final approval, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you know the story about how the Ku Klux Klan got infiltrated, uh, and it was part of the Superman saga? You did you talk about that in your book? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do, and, and, and I don't remember much about that aspect of it right now. You know, the remarkable thing to me as a, as a film historian and film critic is that the Ku Klux Klan reorganized itself after being dormant for many decades because of a movie, uh, The Birth of a Nation, which came out in 1915, inspired people to restart the Ku Klux Klan. Wow, that looks cool. We want to do that. In fact, the, the movie depicted something, the cross-burning, that the original Ku Klux Klan never did. So, Life uh, imitating art. 
Definitely. If people think that film doesn't have power for good or for bad, there's a great example. That's crazy. Yeah, well, well, hopefully they can that Birth of a Nation 2 that's coming out. That's not a good idea. <laughs> the upgraded for 2.0. Oh, yeah. oh, franchise, the franchise. The Birth of Alabama, Birth of Mississippi. Just keep it going that way. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, okay, I appreciate you talking a little bit about that. It's something that uh, that's always been kind of what are the, interesting to me. So, What are the other books here, Jim? Uh, you have a Vietnam a war book, book about the yep, Vietnam War. Vietnam War on film, about 10 or 11 of the movies that, that depict um, the Vietnam War and could get how historically accurate or inaccurate they might have been. So there's that. There's a Hammer of the Gods, which is kind of related to the Secret Society's book. It's about a German secret society that was instrumental in founding the Nazi Party back in 1919. Um, I have some other f music and film books, so it, it's kind of an extensive bibliography. It is. You know, one, one question I wanted to ask real quick about this secret societies thing. How do you research something like that? There's secret societies. It's secret. Mm -hmm. Well, the publisher came to me with the idea, and they said, well, we, we had somebody else doing it, but he gave up. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that, that I delved into secret archives and candlelit caverns under the, the ground or anything like that, but everybody who does anything important leaves behind some kind of a paper trail and if you're patient and know how to research things know how to connect the dots together you can begin to form a pretty good picture of you know who they were and what they did and yeah there are many blank spots things that that maybe can never be known for sure but if people talk about their membership in an organization like this if, if the organization did things in public like kill people or <laughs> Uh, have members convicted of uh, racketeering charges, or if they found um, a nation and put their emblem on the back of the dollar bill, uh, you know, there, there are ways you can kind of trace what they were up to. I suppose that's not so secret then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did the other author give up or was he killed? <laughs> I'll never tell you. They, they they did air quotes when they said give up. He gave up. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Getting back to one of your books, what do you think is the most accurate Vietnam movie and which one is your favorite? And are they one and the same? Oh, uh, boy. Well, for accuracy, it's very hard to beat Full Metal Jacket because uh, Stanley Kubrick, even though he filmed it within the 40-mile radius of his home in the English countryside, for the city where the, the combat took place, he replicated everything, including advertising, billboards. He, he, he made wow. everything look exactly the way it did at that time and in that place. <laughs> and the, the dialogue and the combat situations were very realistic because they, they came directly from a memoir of a, you know, a combat Marine who took part in that particular battle. So that, that movie you know, scores high points for its realism and accuracy. My favorite movie is Apocalypse Now, though, because it gets at the, you know, hallucinatory madness and the moral conundrums of, of, of that war. Mm -hmm. You were too young for the draft, right? That's correct. But I, I, was, I, I was a precocious child and I avidly followed the progress of, uh, of the war. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 I was rooting for the Viet Cong against the South Vietnamese government at that point as a 10 year old uh, the book that I, you know, eventually wrote about the Vietnam War, Vietnam War on film, I think is very good at honoring all sides of the of the conflict and trying to understand why each side was involved to the extent that they were, what they were trying to do, um, where they failed, 
everybody was guilty of something, doing something bad in that war at some point or other. And that gets into the whole nature of, of the morality of war, which is an eternal subject. Sure. Did the draft make exceptions on age based upon somebody being precocious? Could you have been drafted as a 14-year-old? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, would, I would have been a few years uh, you know, be, below the limit on that one. And uh, uh, I, I think I, I, I would have gone to college anyway. So, you know, hope, that, that became very difficult, maintaining your college deferment. Your grade point average had to be at a certain point. If you fell below that, you could be eligible for the draft. So I'm, I'm happy that I was young enough to watch it on TV, but not old enough to actually take part. Right, right. So where does Good Morning Vietnam fall on the scale of viability there? <laughs> uh, there, there really were broadcasters like that that sounded kind of like uh, the Robin Williams show. So, you know, I mean, as far as, as that end of it goes, yeah, I think it, it was kind of true to life. How about a new book? Are you working on anything now? Uh, World War II on film is coming out in November 2020. Okay. Uh, and the next one after that, this publisher keeps giving me stuff, is, is going to be The Great Depression on film, uh, which might be 2022 by the time it comes out. Okay. I've, yeah, I've seen uh, some, some of the stuff that they've colorized, the World War II photography. You know, I saw a whole series of that on, uh, I think, Netflix or something. That was, that was really interesting. I actually learned a bunch of stuff that I didn't even know about World War II, which, you know. it, it was a, a war that was actually necessary to fight. I mean, there, there's no, no doubt that the world would be a, a really different and, and not particularly good place if uh, our side had lost. Right, right. They say it's the last good war, right? Uh, well, the last war that there was unanimous public support for in America, where there was a very clear you know, moral objective or necessity the, the Allied side did some bad things, too. I mean, you can argue about uh, carpet bombing cities at night and killing civilians and all of this terrible stuff. But, I mean, we needed to win. I mean, that's, that's the, the bottom line with World right. War II. That's kind of edgy, <laughs> your commentary. So you're for the Allies against the Axis. I'm just getting I, 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 I will stake my <laughs> reputation on an Allied victory is, is, is around the corner. It'll be gone in the spring. It'll go yeah. away. Yeah, right. yeah right. Lucky, uh, lucky we didn't have him as president at the time. But uh, <laughs> anyway. So the future is looking bright for us then. That's good. Well, yeah, I think it is. I, I think the press will be around for many years to come, and uh, I look forward to being part of it. Well, that had to be really an existential crisis that all you guys faced there at The Shepherd and other newspapers along that, and it really forced you to probably stay up at night and – think like you're a teenager again, come up with all sorts of new ideas. But it's a good thing to be forced to do that. We, we should be doing that all the time anyway, but sometimes being forced to do it is the way to get out of our normal routine. It's true. Yeah. Yep. There's that growth mindset. That's right. Yeah. Well, Dave, Dave Lurson, the managing editor at Milwaukee's Shepherd Express, thank you for stopping on our show tonight. We look forward to the new generation of the shepherd. I got the October one right here. Okay, well, there'll be more to come. So thanks a lot for having That's me. Good. Hey, thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks for being here with us. Appreciate thanks. your time. All right, bye. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast for the exciting conclusion of season three.